Welcome back, everyone. I'm Tony Brown, and you're listening to Firearms Cafe, the show where we discuss the philosophies of responsible firearms ownership, as well as the relevant issues and challenges that we face in the current gun culture. Before we jump into the show, let's get the contact info out of the way. You can contact me several different ways. I have the voicemail, which is area code 206-745-2731. You can also record an MP3 or WAV file and email that to me for the show. If you're not comfortable with recording an audio message, please feel free to contact me via email, and I'll read out your comments on the next show. The address for both email and audio content is firearmscafe at gmail.com. Again, that's all one word, firearmscafe at gmail.com. I also have a Facebook listener page, a Twitter account, and a YouTube channel. There are buttons for these at the website, so please go there and click on those buttons and like me on Facebook, follow me on Twitter, and subscribe to me on YouTube. These are all free. I'm looking forward to hearing from you soon. Thank you for spending your time with me and listening to the show. All right, guys, let's go ahead and get our discussion started on the Zimmerman trial. Today is Sunday. It's the 14th of July, 2013. And before we get this stuff started, I know I kind of say that a lot, don't I? But before we get this started, there were a couple of people that had sent in some comments through Facebook. And I wanted to apologize because I haven't gotten back to those guys in a while. Part of that was I couldn't find it. And uh, another part of it was... A lot of times I'll check Facebook through the phone and it doesn't seem to, for whatever reason, show the messages that I get that are sent to Firearms Cafe. So what I'm going to need to do is make a better effort at checking on my actual computer at home and getting back to people that way. Uh, So later in the show, we're going to have some uh, feedback from Maldolisto and also from Brett. And so, I again, I, I didn't blow you guys off or forget about you or anything. Uh, I just couldn't find the messages uh, on the phone, and that's how uh, a lot of times I check on stuff that way. Anyway, let's go ahead and get back to the trial. So the verdict was released yesterday, and he was found not guilty. They released the verdict in the evening yesterday, and I think they did that to quell any social unrest, uh, translation meaning riots, that they thought might happen. Now, speaking on that front, I was one that had warned you guys, or, or I don't know if even warned is the proper word, but I just wanted you to be aware that if the verdict was the verdict that we got, which was not guilty, that there could be civil unrest, and that if they did it at a certain time, you needed to just be aware of your situation and be aware of your surroundings. Just kind of take some extra precautions. Because we have seen in the past in this country that riots have erupted over certain things. And so it's not a stretch of the imagination to imagine that those things would happen again. There's a lot of stuff that we can learn and there's a lot of stuff that we can take from this trial without trying to politicize it or without trying to make it about race or gun control. Uh, I, I saw a statement from the White House. Basically, he's the president comes out and says, uh, if you read between the lines, that basically the verdict that was reached was wrong, but we have to accept that verdict, and we have to move forward. 
and we need to find a way to quell gun violence. I guess any other violence is okay, just as long as it's not done with a gun. So that's the message that we get from our illustrious president. Anyway, passions are going to run high on both sides of this. So if you were a Trayvon Martin supporter, for lack of a better term, or a George Zimmerman supporter, again, for lack of a better term, there's a lot of passion and a lot of beliefs on both sides. There's a lot of information that's been put out and a lot of disinformation that's been put out. And that's why I talked a little bit about kind of that third camp of people that are in the middle that think that we'll probably never get 100% what the real story is. Now, if you believe the media, depending on which media outlet you watch, either Zimmerman is a wannabe cop who turned into a rogue vigilante and gunned down a kid, or you believe that Zimmerman was just a regular guy trying to make the world a better place. Or you might believe that Trayvon Martin was a brutal, vicious thug who got what he deserved. Or you might believe that he was a misunderstood young man who was cut down before his life even really had a chance to get started. Either way, most of these camps had made up their mind long before the trial started. Now, I happen to think that when we look at what I'll term the factual evidence, meaning the evidence that we were presented with, and that was backed up by actual logic and reason and science, I think that we did get a correct verdict. There are going to be many people who disagree with me, and that's fine. And there are going to be actually even people in the gun culture who think that the verdict was wrong, that Zimmerman should have gone uh, to prison and should have been convicted of those things. And this brings me to sort of an interesting thing that happens in both gun culture and anti-gun culture. A lot of times in gun culture, we will hear a story about somebody who did something and, and a gun was involved, and we'll tend to immediately jump to their side and we'll say, well, that person was a gun owner, and therefore they're a good person because they're a gun owner. And if we look at the other side, the anti-gun side, they may say a person was found with a gun, and therefore that person is a bad person. They're an evil person. They're no good. However, a lot of times those things are a little bit further from the truth, or maybe those things are a little bit more of a gray area. And sometimes I think we rush to judgment on people and we put them in a category maybe that they shouldn't be just because they're a gun owner. Much like somebody on the anti-gun side would put somebody as a bad person just because they owned a gun. And maybe they're wrong. Just like we could be wrong in the gun culture of saying, well, just because they had a gun means that they're justified in whatever they did. Or just because they are perhaps pro-gun politically doesn't necessarily make them a good person, doesn't necessarily make them have good judgment, doesn't make their situation that they put themselves in to be the right one. It doesn't mean that they were, uh, again also, it doesn't mean like the anti-gun people would say that if you had a gun, no matter what you do, you're in the wrong because you're in possession of an evil talisman and only evil can come from that. 
But again, in looking at the evidence, in looking at how the cases were presented, and in looking at the way each side argued, what I saw was that the... Well, before I I get into that, for some of you guys that are maybe newer listeners, I was a juvenile probation officer uh, before I, I basically retired out of there. And I was in court mm, probably a minimum of about 3,000 times. Many of those appearances in court were trials. So I do have an understanding of, of how trials work, how things go, certain procedures, why certain things are done a certain way. And I've seen defense attorneys argue certain points in, in, in trials, and I've seen the prosecutors, or the what you would call maybe county attorneys, argue certain points. And I've seen how they've argued those things. And I've also seen, well, when we'll get to that here in a little bit, I've seen when they change what they want to be charged. And I know why that they do those things sometimes. What I saw in the Zimmerman trial, and this is a bit of a generalization, but what I saw in the Zimmerman trial was that the prosecution argued what I will call suppositional arguments or they presented suppositional evidence, whereas the defense tended to argue more factual, what I would call factual evidence. So what do I, what do I mean by those things? Factual evidence would be things that you would say the, the angle of the bullet entry is 30 degrees because the person's body was over, leaned over, or the person's body was up, or the... Or the gun was held in a certain way, and therefore that means A, B, and C. And this is backed up by actual science. And so if that evidence is is introduced into, into the trial, you can back that stuff up with science. And the suppositional evidence or suppositional argument that I saw from the prosecution were things like, don't you suppose that if a person did this and if a person did that, then A, B, and C would be true. And so it turns it into a subjective thing because it's asking the juror to say, well, you think this right? And it doesn't ask you to back it up with any scientific fact or reason or use any type of, of scientific facts to get to that conclusion. It doesn't want you to use a scientific method. What it wants you to do is say, well, you, your head maybe tells you kind of logically that's at, that's at, that's how it should be. And, and, and you have a feeling of that and you've, you've seen some of this stuff on television. And so, yeah, it makes sense. That's the way it should be. But don't go any further than that. And that's what I saw again and again with how the prosecution would present things and how they would present their their evidence and their arguments seemed to be based, and again, I didn't see the whole thing, but it seemed to be based more upon what I would call almost like a layman's logic. So you would think that one thing should be one way, and it should be. But science will tell you something different. And of course, they leave that part out. All right, you guys may notice a little bit of a difference in uh, the tone or the sound quality. 
I took a break last night. Today's actually Monday. It's the 15th. And we're going to kind of resume what we were talking about. When I left off, I was talking about some of the things that were presented and how the case was going. And one of the things that was very telling was that the prosecution went for a lesser charge. And that usually is indicative that what they have originally charged the person with, they're not going to be able to prove that or they're not going to be able to sufficiently prove what the actual law or statute calls for. So they may say, well, in order to meet manslaughter or second degree, you have to meet these certain standards. And with the evidence that we've got and and probably with what really happened, we're not going to be able to meet those. So what they did is they went down to a lesser charge, which was a, I believe, third degree murder under a child abuse statute. Now, the original intent or purpose of this was that if a parent or an adult, a caretaker of a child, was abusing a child, and I guess it wouldn't have to be necessarily a, care, a caretaker. You could even say in the case of a kidnapping or, or whatever. But anyway, if that person uh, caused injuries, which later led to the child's death, but at the time of the injuries, and this is going to sound odd, the intent of the assailant or the abuser was not to kill the child, but was simply to injure them. And later that child died from those sustained injuries or died from the ongoing neglect. The burden of proof for murder is is lower in that situation. And that's what it was there for. So, again, we, we see that the case was very, very weak from the start. And in fact, if we go back and we look at the original prosecutor's decision and the original officer's reports, what we see is that they felt it was a justifiable shooting based on all the information and evidence that they had. Also, and I don't know how true this is, I don't know if this is just a rumor, supposedly the defense has withheld some evidence during the trial. I don't know a lot about that. I just kind of heard bits and pieces of that maybe floating around. So I don't know if that's one of these kind of internet rumors or, or something that's going on around. There's been so much disinformation and misinformation uh, that has been connected with this particular incident that it kind of boggles the mind. And, uh, you know, speaking of that, when we look at how the media portrayed this, we see that they constantly referred to Trayvon Martin as the victim. They constantly referred to him as a child. They constantly referred to and, and showed pictures of a visual reference of him when he was 14. They doctored the non-emergency calls to make it sound a certain way, to present a certain image. Certain aspects of Zimmerman's life as far as who he associated with, who he tried to help, things of that nature were never brought up because it didn't fit the picture that the media wanted to portray. 
So let's steer back and let's get back to talking about the original police investigation. Now, during a homicide investigation, and in fact, any any investigation really, the police are not your friends. And especially in a homicide where they, where they need to find out what's going on, they're not going to just let somebody walk. They're not going to give somebody a pass. It's in their best interest, in fact, if, if you have committed a murder, whether it's, you know, a first degree, second or manslaughter or, or whatever it is, they want to make sure that they get it right. And, and in this case, they had the shooter. They knew who the person who committed a homicide was. That was Zimmerman, because he told him, I was the one that shot him, and that, that injury led to his death. So they don't have to do a big investigation and, and find out who the shooter was. They've already got him. What they want to find out now is, what were the real circumstances? Because what they don't want, regardless of what people will say, is they don't want a person who is a murderer, who can do killing cold blood, they don't want that person out on the streets. Whether people will say, oh, the police are incompetent or they're lazy or this or that. The people in, in homicide, and I, I knew some officers that were homicide officers, genuinely want to want to solve the crime and they want the person if they're responsible off the streets and to and to be in jail if it's justified if it was a self-defense situation they then want that person to remain free you know i i'm very very critical of the police i don't like the term law enforcement uh, again Words are important, and what we choose to call certain people has meaning and has an impact. And I've talked about before what enforcers do, and I've talked about before what peacekeepers do. And I do not want an enforcer to come to my home if I'm in need of help. I want a peacekeeper. I want someone who is dedicated to keeping the peace by trying with the best of their ability to uphold just laws. Anyway, we saw the importance of, of words and we saw the importance of phraseology all throughout this. So let's take a look. Let's take a couple of steps back and let's try and look at the big picture. What can we as armed citizens learn from this? Were there any mistakes that Zimmerman made? Were there anything that he should have done differently? And the big one is, not that he just minded his own business and drove off in his vehicle and not reported anything, but the big thing is, what should his level of, him, of involvement been? Where should he have pulled back? Where should he have stopped? And we've talked about this show time and time again, and I've given many, many examples of when intentions of an armed citizen go awry, and it lands that person 
in very in a very precarious situation, and a lot of times in situations where they may be going to prison. They're not a criminal. They're they were just trying to do what they thought was right. And some people will say, "Well, look, you're kind of Monday Monday morning quarterbacking, or or you're looking with hindsight." Well, that's true. That's the only way I can look at this. But just because I am looking back with that 2020 vision doesn't mean that I can't have a valid point or have a valid lesson that I can learn and take with me. When we as free men and women, as sovereign men and women, when we choose to carry a firearm, that comes with very grave responsibilities. And we have to understand that if we insert ourselves into a situation that now we have brought a firearm into that situation. So we need to be very deliberate and we need to be very cognizant of the situations that we're putting ourselves into. And many times the best course of action is to be a good witness. Now, every situation is going to be different. And you can run different scenarios or, or events through your head and try and say, okay, well, if, if this is going to happen and I see this happening and A and B is happening, I'm going to react with C or I'm going to react with D or I'm going to react with E. And we can run all those situations through our head over and over again. And they can help us, but every situation is going to be different. And when it is for real, and it is you that is involved, or I that that is involved in that situation, the choices that we may make, or that we may have available to us, may not be any of the things that we had thought of beforehand. And that's where things like training comes in. That's where things... Really, even like watching a lot of the DVDs, reading books, all those things, because they're going to give you different scenarios and they're going to teach you ways to think about things that maybe you just wouldn't have been able to think of on your own. It's not that you're not smart, but you can't think of everything. So I, I think that the that the big lesson from this that we can learn, again, isn't necessarily that you never get involved that you turn a blind eye, that you hide under a blanket in your home. It's that you understand when it is appropriate for you to become involved and when it is not. And I know I'm going to get some emails from some people saying, well, what happens if there's a guy with a machete hacking up a school bus full of children? Are you just going to call it in? It's hard to even to respond to people with that kind of mentality because they don't want to really have a discussion. But I would like to hear what you guys thought if you watched the trial at all, if you thought there were things that the prosecution did right or wrong, if you thought there were things that the defense did right or wrong. What do you think Zimmerman should have done? Uh, there are going to be, I'm sure, many people who said, look, he's he was within his legal rights to walk around in his... In his uh, in his community. He wasn't doing anything wrong just by walking around. And I agree with that. Because you could you could make the same argument that if he was walking home with his groceries, 
you know, he, he could have been in the same place at the same time and he still might have been attacked. But again, we have to remember in, in the original situation, what Zimmerman talked about was he was driving around and he made eye contact with Martin and that he was trying to follow him around and see where he was going. There's nothing illegal about that. But again, you're starting to involve yourself in a situation where you things can go out of your control. And when he left the vehicle, he opened himself up to many more possibilities than if he had just stayed in his vehicle. Also, another thing to think about is, I'm not sure what he did for a living, but basically his name is Mud. He's received and his family has received numerous death threats. There's talk of civil litigation. There may even be lawsuits that Zimmerman, excuse me, <clears throat> that Zimmerman and his attorneys will bring. I think you could probably argue like defamation of character on NBC's parts when they when they edited the tape. I don't I don't know what they'll do. Uh, there's been talk of things like what's this guy going to do for a living? Who who's going to hire him? Is he going to have to maybe leave the state and and go somewhere else? What does he have left financially? Did he have to spend everything that he had just on his defense? And again, that's a, that's another thing that people don't think about. His defense probably cost at a bare minimum four or five hundred thousand dollars. I would think at a minimum. Usually, in a self-defense situation, and this is when I had talked to attorney, a gentleman by the name of Mark Victor, who's a criminal attorney, and what he was saying is, look, just to kind of get started, if we're going to have to end up in court, it's going to cost you around seventy to $80,000. And we may not end up going the whole nine yards. And it's not just the lawyer you're paying for. You're paying for an investigative team. So like private investigators or people that work for him that he has to pay to go out, gather information, interview witnesses. You may have to pay for expert witnesses. You may have to retain other people outside of just your attorney. So the costs add up and it may cost you your home. You may have, it may cost your parents your home. It may cost other family members a lot of, a, a lot of stuff. And again, this is me saying, not saying don't carry a firearm. This is me saying, Understand the possibilities that can happen and understand what it means to involve yourself in certain situations. It is going to be a totally different thing if you're out and about and somebody attacks your wife or your child or or you. Uh, you know, if you're just standing at the local frozen yogurt place and someone comes up and starts stabbing people, well, that's a different situation than what Zimmerman faced. If someone breaks into your home, it's going to be very difficult for the person that broke into your home to say how you instigated stuff when that guy broke into your home at three in the morning. Again, totally different situation than what Zimmerman faced, a different set of circumstances. And each individual incident will be that. It will be an individual incident. All right, before we kind of draw to a close on this, I did get uh, some feedback 
on the uh, on the trial. And this feedback was before the verdict uh, was announced. And this is from a gentleman named Brett. And so I'll go ahead and read that out. He writes, Hello, Tony. I wanted to comment on the Trayvon Martin case that you touched on in your last pod episode. I think as a nation, both sides of the spectrum are making this into a much bigger deal than we have the information to rightfully do so. Was Mr. Martin a model citizen who was unfairly accosted by a gun-loving vigilante with a racist attitude? Was Mr. Zimmerman a law-abiding citizen trying to keep crime out of his community who was violently assaulted by a violent, out-of-control individual for no reason? I really don't believe either to be true, and the actual facts lie somewhere in the middle. There have been pictures painted both positively and negatively of both individuals involved by agenda-driven media outlets. There is way too much hearsay and secondhand information to make this out to be about race, gun control, or any other political platform that can be cast onto the case. It's a sad situation where a young man has lost his life. If it was his own actions or the actions of an overzealous good guy that led to his untimely death, we will never know the absolute truth. I think it is unfortunate that anyone is trying to politicize the situation for an agenda, and I don't believe there will ever be a clear-cut verdict that will satisfy everyone as to what happened. I enjoy the show and keep up the good work. Regards, Brett. Okay, Brett, well, thanks for sending that in. We're in agreement of a lot of stuff. Uh, again, though, uh, getting back to... Now, now, Brett had sent this in uh, in, in July 4th uh, through Facebook. Again, if we go back to to what I saw in the trial and the information that was available and, and a lot of the things that I've discussed prior, I do think that we got the verdict. I think we got to probably the verdict that we, we should have gotten. I, and I also think we're probably as close to the truth as, as we're going to ever get. Again, not everybody's going to be satisfied. There are lots of different camps out there. Brett, I want to thank you for sending that in. I'd like to, now that you've heard the verdict, go ahead and, if you'd like, go ahead and send in uh, some follow-up stuff. So let's go ahead and let's get on a, a different uh, track here. I've got a couple more things I want to talk about. The first is a new application. I think it's for Android phones. And what this application does, it allows you and the other people who subscribe to the application to mark where you think a person is that has a certain type of firearm and that has and may not own it legally or or you may think that they don't deserve it or 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 are mentally unstable or uh, I'm I'm not exactly sure what this thing is doing it, without going into too much of a conspiracy theory thing, it just seems like a very odd thing to do. It's not to say that an individual or, or a group of individuals wouldn't have come up with this, but it does kind of smack of, of sort of like a uh, government in-run type thing to where, well, we can develop this app through this dummy corporation or, or through this guy who's willing to, to do it. And uh, I, I put a link to it over on the uh, the show notes for show number 99 the the thing is called gun geomarker so if you go to gungeomarker.org you'll see what the what the application is about now one of the things that had kind of happened was that people 
downloaded the application and then just started marking everything. So it would be so full of false information. And if you look at the reviews of the application, the vast majority of them are, are, are very, very negative. Uh, so most people, you know, see this thing for kind of what it is. So anyway, let's talk about another, another different track here. We'll scoot on to another track. And let's talk about the AR-15 build that I want to do. I still want to do that, and I'm still welcoming any feedback that I get. One of the receivers that I'm looking very heavily at is one called uh, by Mega Arms. I think I might have mentioned this before. And what I have decided to do, and again, this may be a bit of a recap, is I think I'm going to build everything. I'm going to build it from scratch. So the upper receiver and the lower receiver, I think I want to get from Mega Arms. Problem is, of course, right now they're not available. Or if they are available, they're at a price that I don't want to pay. And so I'm going to wait a while. So that leads me for more research about, you know, the components and barrel and all this other stuff and kind of the, the final way that I want the rifle to look and how I want it to, what purpose I want the rifle to be designed for. So anyways, um, speaking of the, of the Facebook uh, feedback, we actually have uh, some more feedback. And this came in a while back, and it, I had thought that I had lost this because I, I thought it was under my name. And I would check my phone all the time and doing stuff, and I just couldn't find this stuff. But anyway, we have some uh, feedback uh, from Metalisto, and he writes in, and he said, and he's got some personal stuff in here, and I will kind of uh, edit that stuff out here a little bit. It says, I just started listening to your show about a week ago and have been catching up on the old episodes. I listened to your latest podcast where you mentioned building an AR-15. I finished building mine completely from scratch about three months ago, and I think it was very easy. I purchased a billet lower and my barrel from a small uh, Phoenix company called Edward Arms Company. And they have a website up, but you didn't remember. I have, uh, as an aside, I have put a link to that. So I'll continue on with his uh, with his uh, message. Full disclosure, I don't really like the owner's personality very much, but his products are top-notch, and I haven't had any issues with them. The one thing that I wish I had done differently is to spend the extra money and get a two-stage or adjustable trigger and an ambidextrous safety. I put a RRA lower parts kit in, which had a great fit, but the trigger seems heavy. Hopefully the parts will wear in and the amount of force to depress the trigger will go down. I also have a free float barrel slash quad rail, which once again, with the correct tools, vice blocks, it was an easy install. I think I remember you saying that you were considering purchasing a pre-assembled upper. If you can't find one with all the options you want, it's probably better just to build it from scratch rather than having to disassemble a brand new one. I can make you a parts list if you need. There's not really that many. So anyway, keep up the good work on the show, and if you need any help or have any questions, let me know. Thanks. And that, again, was Matalisto. So thank you again for that. I didn't uh, forget about you. I, uh, I thought I had lost the thing. It's, I, I tell you what, I am terrible about getting back to people with Facebook and things like that. Because like I said, a lot of times I'll check on my phone if I, when I'm out goofing around or something. And sometimes if somebody sent something big, I always think, oh, okay, I'll, I'll message them back and then 
you know, either you forget or, or you think, well, I'll just, I'll do it tomorrow and then something comes up. And then, so anyway, I want to thank everybody for contacting me and sending stuff in. And, uh, hopefully, uh, least you're still a listener and didn't get fed up and, uh, pitch the podcast. Again, if we go back and we talk a little bit about why I wanted the AR-15, I'd mentioned before that I wanted something that was easy shooting and something that my wife and as my daughter gets older that they could shoot, something that's not going to have a lot of recoil, something that you can do follow-up shots with quite easily. With the AK that I have, I find for me, and it's probably just because I've shot it so much that I've gotten used to it, that I can shoot it pretty well on the move. I can I can do follow-up shots. I've figured out kind of the ergonomics of it a little bit. I'd still like to take an AK uh, rifle course with it when I can get some, some more time and money and ammo and things like that. Many of you guys know I'm out here in the Arizona area. I'm in the Phoenix area. And there are lots of good classes out here right now. It's summertime, so ugh, it's a little too hot. Uh, but as the weather changes and as, as things uh, continue, I definitely want to take some rifle courses as well. All right. Well, guys, I think I have jibber-jabbered and, and uh, rambled on quite enough for you. Since I did kind of a start and stop, I don't, I, I've probably re-mentioned things. Uh, during the editing, editing process, I'll try and go through and look and uh, cut stuff out if, if I've repeated things too much. So... Uh, like I had said, I'm sure I've mentioned before, I would love to hear from you guys. If you want to contact me, uh, please feel free to do so. We've got the email account where you can record your own stuff, send it in, or I can read out the stuff for you, and that's at uh, firearmscafe at gmail.com. We've also got the Facebook page, which is uh, just Firearms Cafe. You can type that in, and uh, there's a listener page on there, and you can uh, send a message or, or leave a message for Firearms Cafe. I promise I will do a much better job of checking that on a daily basis, and I promise to do a much better job of, of getting back to people. Uh, you may get a real short reply from me just saying, hey, I'll catch up with you here in a couple of days, or just a quick thank you, but I, I at least want to acknowledge that you sent stuff in. So, All right, uh, I think that is it, and I will talk to you guys next time. Take care, everyone. One step at a time, don't be living on the line I don't need a friend, I got more than on the mind Sunshine in my brain, making everyone complain Radio in the heart, don't be being so strange Think I'm losing it, baby, where you been? Everybody says that you're moving again I don't want to be right, baby, every single night